Welcome to the Let's Get Vulnerable podcast with me, your host, Dr. Morgan Anderson, clinical psychologist, relationship coach, love expert, creator of the ESL relationship method, and athletic wear connoisseur. My mission is to help you raise your self-worth, have great relationships, and step confidently into the next level of your life. Each week, two episodes will air featuring expert advice, live coaching, and tips showing you exactly how to improve your life and attract great relationships. You deserve to feel empowered, secure, and loved. So buckle up and let's get vulnerable. Are you tired of investing your time and your energy into relationships that go nowhere and you know deep down the common denominator is you. You have awareness that whatever you're doing right now in relationships is not working, it's not serving you, and you are ready to take ownership of this area of your life and finally learn how to embody a securely attached, confident woman who can attract a great relationship. If that's you, I have a very special invitation I want to invite you to apply to the Empowered, Secure, and Loved program. This is a program designed to help you no matter your attachment style, no matter your relationship past, it will help you move to secure attachment so that you can show up confident, you can communicate well, you can navigate any kind of conflict, and you can create that relationship that you've always wanted while simultaneously having high self-worth and high levels of self-love. If that's you and you know that in 2022, you are ready for a great relationship and you're committed to getting there, I want to personally invite you to apply to the ESL program Use the link in my Instagram bio. On Instagram, it's at Dr. Morgan Coaching, Dr. Morgan Coaching, and the link is also in the show notes. Spots are extremely limited, so go apply now to reserve your spot and start your journey to high self worth and great relationships. It's your host, Dr. Morgan, and it's a really great episode. Today, we are going to talk about Netflix's show, The Ultimatum. You all loved it when I broke down Love is Blind season two, and I actually got numerous messages, people requesting that I watch The Ultimatum and break it down. So I listened, I binge watched the show. And any of you out there who have watched it, you know, holy cow, it's a roller coaster. They do a really good job of creating drama. It really pulls you in. So thank you all. I had horrible sleep for about a week while I was watching it because I couldn't stop watching once I started. Um, We're going to break it down. This is going to be fun. We're going to talk attachment dynamics. We're going to talk about what was healthy, what wasn't. Um, I will say this, and I said this before with the Love is Blind review. Obviously, there are things that were left out of this show, right? We don't get to see everything that happens. 
and we don't know the full stories of the couples. We, we have what Netflix wanted us to see, and that's what I'll be making um, my analysis off of. So I understand that I don't have the whole story. I don't know these people in person. I would love to do couples therapy with some of these folks. But yeah, I don't know them in person. So I'm going to go off of what we saw on the show. Please keep that in mind. All right. The first couple I want to talk about is Alexis and Hunter. Whew. So Alexis and Hunter. Alexis came in and... I'm going to be honest, there was something about her demeanor that I really felt like she had some healing work to do. The sense that I got from Alexis is there really was still some deep insecurities. And she almost showed up with some narcissistic traits. I don't want to say she's a narcissist. I don't believe that. But I do think that she had some some healing to do. And maybe you you could say that she even had a little bit of um, avoidant attachment or even some anxious. She she honestly, uh, with further analysis, I think would probably come up as having uh, disorganized or fearful avoidant attachment. So where am I getting this from? Do you all remember in the show she's talking about... Um, just, I mean, she, it's one thing to have high self-worth. Obviously, I believe in that. And you can exude that confidence. But the way that she was communicating it, it it seemed as though it was overly inflated. Um, and then also, one thing that was interesting is the financial piece that she brought up. And she's talking about that she loves Hunter, but the only thing is he's not making enough money and he and she wanted a partner to make more money than her. That did get me thinking how many people get to that place and really what is that about and where does it come from? A lot of times, and this is just food for thought, okay, y'all. A lot of times if we have a need for our partner to make more than us, it can be connected to times in the past where we felt taken advantage of um, or times in the past where we felt like we had to be the parent, we were giving everything. And a lot of times we can say, well, okay, if they're super financially secure and if they make more than me, then they won't be depending on me. So take a second to think about that. Because here's the reality is that just because somebody makes more than you, that's not always going to equate to a non-codependent dynamic, or it's not always going to equate to somebody who is emotionally healthy and, and someone who is reciprocal and giving to the relationship. I think we can confuse that um, high earning with the real true things, or, you know, we can associate it with, okay, well, they're going to be a great partner if they're making more than me when that's not always the case. So at the end of it, well, actually, I think, I don't know which episode, um, it turns out that Alexis says, I'm not going to go on 
a date. I'm not going to do the experiment with anyone. And Hunter proposes and they get engaged. I will say this to Hunter's credit. I really feel as though he's showing up securely attached. He's probably the most um, calm person on the show and and really, truly uh, securely attached person who I think at times might have struggled with some of Alexis's ways of being. But clearly as a couple, they navigated it and they have created a securely attached dynamic. I will say one other thing that pointed to some of Alexis' healing work that that she could do um, was her reaction to Colby not being interested in her and then the way that she immediately put him as a bad guy and put him as being an awful person, which we'll get to Colby, y'all. I have my things to say about Colby, okay? But she sort of her reaction was to put him down when she experienced rejection. And that's where I'm saying that, you know, there could be some twinge of narcissistic traits to work on. Okay. Because rejection is going to be part of the dating game. And we have to not take it personally. And we have to not respond to that rejection by putting down the person who gave it to us. That's not a healthy way to respond. So interesting dynamics there with Alexis and Hunter. Also, girl was trying to really stir up drama for her bachelorette party. When she got everyone together, she was just asking all those questions and you're kind of like cringing as you're watching it. Um, Wow, that was wild. Okay, let's talk about Lauren and Nate. Whoa. 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 So they, Lauren is, um, also heard the rumor that Lauren was actually older than Netflix said she was. Anyways, Lauren and Nate. Lauren had stated she does not want children. Nate has shared he really does want kids and it's an ultimatum. And Nate was the one who issued the ultimatum to Lauren. And what had happened is that clearly this was something that was a non-negotiable, at least that's how it was presented. And then at some point, I believe what happened, and and I, I here's here's what I'll say, y'all, for attachment dynamics. Lauren definitely has some avoidant attachment tendencies. I can just see in the way that she interacts. Um, Not saying that not wanting kids is that, not by any means. But the fact that once she felt comfortable and she was talking with Colby and then she's opening up about, okay, I would have kids, blah, blah, blah. And this is why we got to see that, wow, what she's doing in her relationship with Nate is really evidence to avoidant attachment. She's not sharing her true concern. She's not being present. She's not sharing where she's really at. We saw her do that with Colby. Um, But in the relationship with Nate, we have Lauren showing up as avoidantly attached and we have Nate as anxiously attached. You can tell he cares for Lauren. Um, And ultimately, 
right after Hunter proposes to Alexis, Nate starts to sense, oh my gosh, there's nobody I'm going to pair with. There's nobody I'm going to do the experiment with. He gets really anxious and he basically interrupts Colby. Colby was going to go with Lauren and he runs over to Lauren and he proposes and he says, forget the kids thing. We'll figure it out. I choose you. I'd rather have a life with you. If it means just you, then I'm okay with it. And Lauren says, absolutely. So clearly they have a lot more to figure out. And it did feel as though it was kind of like um, an anxious, an anxious avoidant moment there where the anxious person gave in when the avoidantly attached person was going to leave. Right. So they stated on the reunion, they went to couples therapy and they're talking through things. And Lauren said at this point that she's open to having one child. I'm going to say that I think they need more therapy. Good for them for going. And I think they should keep going. And I think that there's some deeper things um, that need to get resolved. And Lauren needs to be able to feel like she can take up space. And Nate needs to be able to create that space for Lauren as well. So that's just some of my initial analysis. Okay. Lauren and Nate, who's next? Okay. Let's talk about Shanique and Randall. I actually really adore this couple. I think both of them as individuals were really honest in the show. I think they showed up with integrity and I think they really showed that they worked through a lot. Um, Let's talk about their dynamic. To me, it's really fascinating. So when I see Shanique and Randall, here's what I see. I see Shanique clearly adoring Randall, wanting to make things work. She's the one issuing the ultimatum. And I will say just from what I can tell, I would think that she is recovering from disorganized attachment or fearful avoidant attachment. I say recovering because she does show signs of being able to really communicate, although it takes her time. Um, And especially at the reunion, you're going, wow, okay, she's really done a ton of work. So she's, she, her default would probably be fearful, avoidant, or disorganized. And then her at her best, she's moving towards secure attachment, which I think we have witnessed. Randall, definitely avoidant attachment. And he... So, okay. So Randall. Randall um, was talking about not being financially ready and that that was what was getting in the way of them getting married after being together for two years. And what we see is that as he goes and does the trial marriage with Madeline, he starts to learn that that financial reason is actually a cover-up for deeper feelings. And what we see is that his avoidant attachment style and the way he's been showing up in his relationship with Shanique Y'all, I had to make a list of these names to not mess them up. So I'm looking at my list, okay? In his relationship with Shanique, what was happening is 
he's not feeling as though he can express himself fully. He's not able to set the boundaries. And, and essentially, he's preventing himself from taking up space in the relationship and sharing how he really feels. This is classic avoidant attachment style. And then instead of showing up, expressing himself, doing the hard work of learning how to communicate, to protect himself, he puts this block up and has this thing about his finances and saying that he's not going to be ready to propose until um, they're more financially ready. So definitely a avoidant attachment strategy, a distancing strategy to have a reason like that. And then what I love about Shanique and Randall is that they get engaged at the end. And Shanique learns a lot about herself. She learns about some of how her protest behaviors, her showing up um, in a way that takes up so much space and not being willing to listen to Randall and help him take up space, how that was really impacting their dynamic. And she shares that with Randall. And Randall realizes that, wow, she really is his best friend. And he proposes and they get engaged. Well, on the reunion, we learn that they did not, in fact, get, well, actually, they did get engaged, but they did not go forward. They called off the engagement and they actually spent six months apart. Randall makes a comment that he lost some people. He lost a friend. I believe he lost his grandmother, if I remember correctly. And he talked about how Shanique was there for him through that time. What I love about that is it's this avoidantly attached person going through this hard time and really realizing, wow, I can be independent. I can take care of myself. But it was so nice to have Shanique's support through those really, really tough times. And we see some of that avoidant attachment defense and wanting to keep distance. We see some of that melting away as he's acknowledging that, yes, Shanique is his best friend and she was there for him when he really needed her. And all signs point to them becoming engaged and going forward to marriage. And I couldn't support them more. I feel like of all the couples, they really worked through their stuff. They didn't go around it. It might have been messy, but they're working through it and it's clear. All right. And I would love to talk to either one of them. So maybe I'll try to get one on the podcast if I can. That would be amazing. So that's Shanique and Randall. This is a long episode. We're going to do it. We're going to talk about all the couples. Do you remember? How could you forget? Jake and April. Jake and April. All right. So April is a force. April definitely has anxious attachment. We see it. We see it play out. Um, she needs a lot of reassurance. She has a high need for reassurance. Um, and another thing is I, I do feel like there's a lot of protest behavior for her in terms of um, constantly having these little tests for Jake. And, and obviously, I don't know them. I'm just sort of trying to gauge what their relationship was like. But it seems like 
she would talk about what she wants and she's really putting a lot on. I want the kids. I want the marriage. I want the house and I want it now. And she's associating that with whether or not Jake loves her and is invested in the relationship, right? And she's she's sort of demanding that. And I see that as protest behavior and her saying, prove your love to me instead of, you know, the more securely attached April would tune in to Jake, see how he's feeling and would be able to accept more of the reassurance and have less of the demands um, that he proved the love over and over and over, right? So we, so we see anxious attachment in action. And Jake, Jake goes from secure to avoidant, secure to avoidant. I definitely think he has the ability to show up as both ways. Clearly somebody with a lot of love to give. He is a good listener. He seems to be tuned in. Um, and then, of course, things get really messy uh, when he connects with Ray. And what ends up happening is you have these two people, Ray and Jake, who were experiencing sort of similar dynamics in their relationships, although we'll get to Ray and Zay, but um, they really connect and they sort of understand each other's more avoidant ways of being. Although I think on the spectrum, Jake would actually be more securely attached than Ray. Um, but Jake was able to take a breather and all of a sudden he felt like, wow, I'm not giving all this reassurance. I'm not giving, giving and giving. Um, if Jake and April had wanted to work through things, I believe they could have. I think what happened is Jake got to a place of so much resentment that he was done trying. Um, I would have loved to have seen them a year prior get into some kind of couples therapy or even April going through something like the ESL program, right? And being able to move towards securely attached and seeing how that would help the relationship dynamic, right? So I got to respect April, though. Uh, she definitely reminds like some of some of her ways of being and being on a timeline and wanting it now. And why isn't it happening now? That was definitely some of the anxious slash masculine energy um, that I would take into past relationships. So I have a lot of compassion for her. She's a little firecracker. And you know what? At the, at the reunion, she gave the update. She's in a great relationship. And I can tell you what, when she shared why it's a great relationship, she, she says, he says, I love you in the morning. He says, I love you at night. He's ready for kids, blah, blah, blah. She's getting all the reassurance that she could possibly need. And the hope is that with that high levels of reassurance that she will move towards secure attachment and she's having some of that healing that she needs. So obviously wish her the best um, and hope that that relationship dynamic with somebody who hopefully is very securely attached, otherwise he's anxious and two anxious people will give each other a lot of reassurance. The danger being you could easily slide into codependency. So as long as she doesn't slide into codependency and hopefully she's with somebody securely attached, I hope they can create a great 
relationship dynamic. And I wish her the best with her infertility journey. I know that's so painful. Um, And yeah, I wish her the best. So let's keep going, y'all. Let's keep going. Zay and Ray. Zay and Ray. (sighs) All right. So Zay definitely needs some healing. And I have so much compassion for him. We heard about his childhood. He has been in survival mode and seems as though he continues to be in survival mode for all of his life. Um, And what I saw from Zay and Ray was really Zay showing up with disorganized attachment, fearful avoidant, and Ray showing up heavily avoidant. And their relationship dynamic is unhealthy, very unhealthy. I think we could see that. Um, Yeah, it became really clear as Ray was opening up to Jake um, about her experiences in the relationship and how uncomfortable she was with him going to clubs and not posting her on his social media. It became very clear that, you know, she's not able to set those boundaries and she's sort of just in this avoidant, I'm not even going to try almost like dissociated from the relationship in a way. Um, but clearly there's something there that keeps her going back. Um, and some of that could be some of the toxic dynamic. I do believe there was, um, some emotional abuse. It was, it was concerning to watch. It was actually very triggering to me to watch that as I can imagine it was for a lot of you just watching their dynamic play out. Neither person was really able to show up in a healthy way. They really triggered each other. Um, and really just, they were, they were playing out the narratives that each person had about love really. Um, and I, I do think that Zay needed reassurance. He needed someone who could show up securely attached, who could be highly expressive with him, who could reassure him. And at the same time, that does not match at all what he believes to be true about love. Given his turbulent childhood, he has a lot of templates that love is hard, love is unavailable, it's unpredictable. You know, you have to fight for it, etc. Um, and I think that, yeah, they just really triggered each other and it was a really unhealthy dynamic. And, and what I would say is that they can both heal. I definitely see that they both desire that they both really want a great relationship. Um, but they do need to get into, um, get, get some help. There's no shame in that. Right. And then Ray, Ray and Jake, we saw a lot of potential in that dynamic. And I think people were kind of rooting for them. It seemed as though they were compatible. What I like to think about is that when there's secure attachment and there's sort of a healthy relationship dynamic as a foundation, that's when we can then see if we're compatible. And with Jake and Ray, their dynamic appeared, obviously it's the very beginning of it, but it appeared to be 
pretty healthy and it was allowing them to explore compatibility and they had a lot in common. Um, ultimately, based on what the reunion said, it sounds like some of Ray's connection with Zay got in the way of her pursuing the connection with Jake. And I actually think that it wouldn't have made sense for Ray and Jake to run off together. What I would have hoped, and maybe y'all can relate with me on this, I would have hoped that Ray would have taken six months just for her and that Zay would have done the same and that they would have focused on their healing. They would have gotten into whether a coaching program, therapy, journaling, but really working on, okay, how can I start to work through some of my stuff from the past that's getting in the way of my relationships? And how can I move towards secure attachment? Zay definitely needs to learn emotional regulation, self-soothing, open, honest communication, and moving towards secure attachment. And Ray certainly needs to learn how to take up space in the relationship, how to express herself, um, and how to create secure attachment with a partner. So I would have loved to have coached Ray in the ESL program. And I actually love on the reunion, she came out with her sexual orientation as bi. And she talked about being in a relationship with a woman. And I think that that was super brave of her. I really commend her for that. I want to just um, wish her the best. And here's what I know. We take ourselves wherever we go. So hopefully she's working on some of her stuff in that dynamic. And who's to say her and Jake, who knows, it appeared on the reunion that they were friends. Um, And then also what happened on the reunion is that Ray totally lost it on Zay. And we hadn't seen that side of her, I guess a little bit, but not verbally, right? Like um, there was a physical altercation on, on one of the final episodes, but in the reunion, she was verbally expressing herself. And this is sometimes what we see with, with people in toxic dynamics that they had so much that they kept in that then when they step away and they're finally doing some healing, it all comes out. And that's, that's what we saw, a disproportionate response to what was happening in that moment. But it was her expressing things that she never had the chance to, and she was finally able to. So I don't necessarily think it was helpful to, I, I mean, I think it was probably helpful for Ray. I don't know that it was helpful for Zay or that it was even helpful to kind of show in the media um, because I I don't necessarily think it was healthy um, how it was communicated. But I'm torn because at the same time, it's showing, look, this is someone who really experienced some emotional abuse and went through a really toxic dynamic and she stood up for herself and she's speaking her truth. So I do have mixed feelings about that whole um, spot of the reunion where we see Zay walk off, right? And Ray's 
clearly worked up. Um, it needed to happen and it wasn't the best model for healthy, open, honest communication. Okay. I'm like, could have I just come on before and just coach these people about how to use I statements and I feel and the story I'm telling myself is or what I felt at that time was and what I would have needed was, you know, I think it's when we get into blaming mode, people can't hear us. They shut us down. When we own our experience, that's when we are our most powerful. But clearly, Zay and Ray really triggered one another. Okay, a lot going on. The final couple, the final couple I'm going to talk about is Colby and Madeline. Wow, there's a lot going on here. And to be fair... To be fair, I think there's parts of their story that we just don't know. Um, I think they really sort of painted Colby a certain way. And who knows what other clips there could have been of him or parts that we did not see. Um, I will say, though, that I had really not... Not a great feeling about Colby. I don't know if any of you watching it felt that way. Can can you relate? Um, really, what what he uh, expressed to me was a highly highly anxious attachment, um, but also some narcissism, also some narcissistic traits that I don't. I, and here's what I want to say: I don't think he is a narcissist. However, I think he has some narcissistic traits. Um, and I, obviously, I think those are sort of coming out of survival. What we see in Colby is he placed Madeline on a pedestal. Um, and she's the only one for him. Um, and while that's romantic, it seems to sort of get in the way of how he communicates and how he operates. He has so much fear of being seen in a negative way that we end up seeing him lie on the show. We end up seeing him gaslighting on the show, making Madeline feel like she's crazy. Um, We see some really toxic behaviors from Colby, frankly. Um, I was not a fan. And the, the reality is that him and Madeline did work it out. And it was sort of like we didn't know up until the last minute whether they would or not. I I honestly was shocked. Um, and what I did not like, and I wonder how you all felt about this, is Madeline had been so on the fence. It was it appeared to have been a very relationally traumatic time on the show. And then Colby says, we're going to get married today. We're having our wedding today. Not letting Madeline plan a wedding, have a wedding. He's just like, we're going to do it today. What we don't know is, did Madeline okay that ahead of time? Um, Or was it totally a shock? If it was a shock, then I don't like it. That's some of that narcissistic trait coming out of not thinking about the other person and really fully allowing you to build the love slowly, right? We have this anxious attachment um, and I didn't like it at all. 
all that to say, when they showed up at the reunion and Madeline is pregnant and Colby's sitting there, you look at them and you realize, okay, they were the kind of couple that had a ton of, and, and I do feel that that Madeline was avoidantly attached 100%. So they were clearly playing out that anxious avoidant dynamic to an extreme. Um, but they're at the reunion. They're sitting there. She's pregnant. They look happy. They're the kind of couple that once they committed and they got married, it ended up seemingly working out for them that Colby maybe was able to relax into more of a securely attached place and maybe able to own more of his role in things once he felt totally safe. That's what we hope that he's moved to more of a securely attached place. He feels totally safe. He's able to show up as a better partner. That's the hope. And with Madeline, same thing that hopefully she's in a connection now where she can be all in, that she feels safe with intimacy. You know, we learn about her parents' divorce. She has probably some fears around intimacy and pain and how they're associated. But we can hope that she's in this dynamic with Colby and she feels safe and that she's going to show up and be a great partner. However, <laughs> here's the here's the cynical brain, the analytical brain here. I can imagine that as a couple, if they have conflict, it's crazy. Um, when I shouldn't use that word, it is extremely unhealthy and volatile. And they hopefully are doing some work. Hopefully they're with a couple's therapist um, who can help them navigate conflict because I could easily see at their worst as a couple, they're going to really trigger one another. Um, and they, they could end up having some really terrible fights. So hopefully not. Hopefully they're working on it. The other thing I'll say is from both of them, we got to see how alcohol can have a really horrible impact on relationship functioning. We saw it with Madeline the night she's super drunk and she's talking to Randall and she's rude to Randall um, and she's overly, overly emotional Um here, here's what I want to say. I have nothing wrong against alcohol when we can use it intentionally and it's not controlling us and it's not damaging our relationships. What we saw on the show was alcohol really damaging a, a relationship and really getting in the way of showing up as a good partner. I've seen this so many times in friends and clients, right? Like substances can really impact your ability to show up as your best self. And I think it's important to realize, particularly, here's what I want to say, particularly in times of stress, in times of uncertainty, times of fear, times when we have a ton of emotional processing to do, that when we throw alcohol into the mix, it's going to heighten 
those feelings. It's going to amplify. It's going to send us into even more unpredictable ways of being and makes us even more impulsive and really reduces our ability to be intentional. So, hey, when you're on your honeymoon and you're deeply in love and you both feel great and there's a ton of safety and security and you're feeling wonderful, hey, have have some drinks, y'all. But um, when you're in a place of emotional turmoil, alcohol is going to make things worse. End of story. And we saw that. We saw it multiple times from Madeline. Um, so I think it really highlights that we need to be intentional, particularly when we're building a relationship. Be intentional about how we're using alcohol. Okay. What a show. What a show. What a show. So I do think that one of the things we can take away is that these people clearly, the couples that came, they clearly care for one another deeply. There was a lot of love there. And the the couples who were willing to work through things have found a way to do that. Even if it didn't seem like always the healthiest way, um, such as Lauren and Nate, we don't know the whole story. You know, hopefully they are really continuing to work on things. Um, So I think what I want you to take away is that even if you're in a dynamic where you have anxious and you have avoidant or you have disorganized and you have avoidant, whatever the attachment dynamic is, if both people say, hey, I want to learn how to be my best self. I want to show up as securely attached. It really is possible to change a relationship dynamic. I believe we saw that with some of the couples more easily, such as Shanique and Randall. And I want to encourage you this, that a relationship takes two people. When you change one part of the dynamic. So if you if you just work on you and you change how you are showing up and you learn to become more securely attached, you will change the relationship dynamic for the better, right? Or you'll get clarity that the relationship's not going to work. Um, all the time we have women in relationships come through the Empowered Secure Love program And they have the goal of moving themselves towards secure attachment. And what they get to see is, okay, am I going to be able to create a different relationship dynamic? Or will I get the data that tells me that this relationship is not capable of moving towards secure attachment? Either way, it's growth and it's helpful. And I have seen it go both ways with women that I've coached where they become more securely attached and their relationship becomes more securely attached and they fall more in love with their partner and it works wonderfully for them in that way. And I've also seen it where they become more securely attached and then they have the data that their partner is simply not willing or not able to grow in that way. And that it's going to be best for everyone if the relationship ends. 
So there's no outcome that is better than the other. But I believe that if we want to have a healthy relationship, it starts with us. And when we change how we show up, we can get that information about the relationship. I hope that you enjoyed this episode about the ultimatum. I could have talked even more about this, but it was definitely fascinating to watch. I hope if you haven't watched it now, after hearing me talk about it, you might want to go watch it. Um, I'll be honest and just say that it was, it was really uh, relationally triggering to me to watch this show. It reminded me of past dynamics I've had um, and particularly that triangle the triangulation where you're involving three people instead of two. I know Netflix, you're doing this for the viewers and the drama, but I want to tell the audience, please don't involve a third person. You don't have to create triangulation in order to figure out whether your relationship is meant for you or not. There's other ways to do it. Okay. Um, And I'm actually this watching this show inspired me to do a whole other episode on triangulation and why we do that, how we can fall into it and how to not do that. Okay. Um, Okay. Y'all hope you enjoyed this episode. You know, I appreciate you. Thanks for tuning in and being with me every single week. Uh, If you haven't yet, please go leave a review on Apple podcasts. I read every review And that is the best way to help me help other people find this show. I appreciate you. Of course, you know, I'm wishing you high self-worth and great relationships. I'll talk with you soon. You guys, thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate each and every one of you. The best way that you can thank me is by sharing this episode on Instagram, Facebook, and making sure that you tag me at Dr. Morgan Coaching. And it would really mean the world to me if you took just two minutes to leave me a five-star review on iTunes. This podcast is not free to produce. And the more that you help this little show grow, the more people will have access to this valuable information. So until next time, I'm wishing you high self-worth and great relationships. Thank you for being part of this community.